I'm Jackie Miller, host of Out of Crazy Town, your guide to divorcing a narcissist. Sometimes we just want someone to shoot it to us straight. What will really happen with my case in family court? What does a judge care about or not care about? Kelly Avalone is a family law attorney out of San Diego who specializes in complex, high conflict family court cases and custody battles. She is here to give us the cold hard truth about the reality of family court. Hello, Kelly Avalone. Thank you so much for being on Out of Crazy Town, your guide to divorcing a narcissist. I really appreciate you joining us today. Thank you so much for hosting. I appreciate the invite. Well, you know, I heard about you through some colleagues and then I listened to some other podcasts you were on and I thought, this is a great attorney that's really good at shooting it to you straight, which is what I want you to do today because I think so many clients have no clue when they enter this world and are shocked. It just even the littlest things. And so yeah. here's a heads up, guys. I do want to tell people a little bit about you because I know you were born in Northern California, but then it looks like you made your way to Southern California and stayed there. Yeah, I actually was born in Santa Rosa, um, but grew up in a really small town called Murphy's. And then I ended up in San Diego after undergrad and kind of stayed here. I went to California Western School of Law, which is in downtown San Diego. When I finished there, I actually ran a boutique law firm in La Jolla that she's still in practice. Her name is Michaela Curran, you know, great little firm, really great practice. Uh, ultimately, I just kind of wanted to expand and go on my own. And so I started my own practice about 2019. Um, I think we officially were official in 2020, but 2019, I was really, I was really kind of on my own and then finishing up some litigation at the Curran law firm. And then I just really have been on my own ever since. So we have a couple of attorneys now that that work with me as well. They're phenomenal. And other than that, we are primarily only San Diego cases at this point in time, just because there is so much business and there's so much need for it in San Diego that it doesn't always make sense for us to venture out of our jurisdiction and go to, let's say, Orange County or LA or you know, Santa Monica. So that's primarily where we practice now. Okay, great. And you know, I have clients that really wanted an attorney that was really outside of their area and they went ahead and did it. And you know, they love that attorney, but you're right. There have been a number of challenges that have come up from a geographical, you know, distance. So, so I get it. Yeah, it, it can be difficult. And I, you know, I typically talk about shooting it straight. I typically tell my clients, you know, I'm a frequent flyer in the San Diego courtrooms, right? Everyone is going to know who I am or they're, they're going to know of me. They're going to, you know, potentially respect me in LA or in La Moreau. That might not be the case now. Really that good point. Not matter. Um, but the other flip of that is so much in family court is judge's discretion. And it's how your specific judge thinks and what your specific judge's values are. Yes. And so it's really, really, really critical to know your audience. And so if you're practicing in a court that you're not accustomed to, you don't know whether or not that judge really thinks that, you know, well, I understand that we have lifetime spousal support, but I don't really agree with that. It's sometimes very difficult. And again, in some cases, it doesn't matter. It doesn't sure. matter. The law is the law. 
Um, but in other cases where there's a lot of discretion of the court, you're really going to want to know your audience. And this actually leads into my very first question for you, because I've seen this phenomenon, I guess I'll call it, um, when clients come back from interviewing attorneys and sometimes they're like, they were so mean. And I don't think it's mean. I don't think it's mean. I think it's obviously they're being very direct. They need that like kind of hard, cold truth up front. But I know that you say that you do that in your consults with people. And so what is the theory behind that as an attorney? Here's the thing about it. Being in law is like any other field. It's it's a sales field. Your clients are essentially purchasing services, but you're the product. And yes. so if you go into a consult and you feel like you are buying a car, you're in the wrong spot. Because your attorney is selling you, right? What about these window features? Oh, but that's not all. I can make it do this. If you feel like that in a consult, then you're in the wrong spot potentially because your attorney is really doing too much selling and not enough bottom line. This is the fact. This is the law. This is the way that it's going to go. You know, obviously we don't have a crystal ball. And I say that to my clients all the time. I can't predict the future. I don't know what's going to happen. The nice thing and sometimes frustrating thing about family court is that the facts literally change every day. You might be the supervised parent one day and all of a sudden the other parent gets a DUI, gets, you know, in a bar fight, gets arrested, you know, makes some poor choices. And all of a sudden, guess what? The court has to choose between who's the better of the two parents. And not. And now all of a sudden, for whatever you were doing, you don't look so bad, right? That's the most yeah. extreme example. But, I've seen it. Right. But the real reality is the facts in family court change every single day or they can. And so you need an attorney who is just going to tell you what, you know, what is your situation? Mm. What are your expectations? What are you trying to get out of this? And be very direct with you. I actually love that you asked me where I was from because a lot of people really actually think I'm from the East Coast um, because I'm just so nope, nope, nope. That's great. We're not doing that. Um, and the reason for that is because, you know, it really doesn't create a good client relationship. And I, I don't really know where those relationships end up with attorneys that are selling you. I, I want to be a fly on the wall in six months when it's not going the way that they said in their sales console. You know, you're not doing your client any favors, but you're also not doing yourself any favors because you're just giving the client this expectation that you know you can never meet or live up to. Mm. But also it's an unrealistic expectation for your client, which is really troubling because this right now, is your client's first step at planning out the rest of their life. Right. I tend to try to take my cases completely. If I get it from the start, I like to take it all the way through the finish line. You know, that's not always possible, but when possible, it's nice to be able to see a case through. Well, if you've set the wrong expectation with the client at the outset, seeing that case through is going to be really hard. You know, I, I can only imagine that people go into these hearings and their attorney tells them, well, it's going to probably go this way, or we're not really sure the judge is going to see. We'll see what happens. And then they go into these hearings. And at the end of it, the, the attorney just says, to him, well, I guess the judge didn't agree with us. Fly, or as another attorney fly on the wall, you're looking at this attorney like, 
What? Of course I wouldn't agree with you. Your clients are really, really, really trusting you. And your clients are really, really, really relying on you. And so if you give them this false expectation at the outset, mm. then it's, it's only you that has to live up to it, but it's them that has to plan for it. And live with it, right? No. And to me, the worst part of my divorce was the unknown. There was so much unknown. And in the very beginning, I didn't end up with the attorney I started with. There was just not enough communication. And I often felt like if it's bad news, just tell me. I yeah. And then I will know what I'm dealing with and I can plan around it. So yeah. I will take any news at this point. Yeah. I want my attorney to feel sure to people out there listening. If you're interviewing attorneys, no divorce process is perfect. They're going to give you some bad news in there. Yep. Probably. You know, there's a lot of misconceptions about divorce just in general. A good attorney and a good consult should correct those misconceptions. Mm. I'll tell you most of the time it takes me about 15 minutes to completely diagnose and triage an entire case. Mm. I can tell you who the players are in the game. I can tell you why so-and-so is acting like that. I can tell you what judge you're in front of, you know, why the judge you're in front of me, those types of orders in San Diego. So I, I can tell you in about 15 minutes what the lay of the land is. And your attorney at the outset is not going to have all the answers and they're not going to know everything. And you know what? There might be some weird off nuanced piece of your uh, divorce that you're like, but what about this? And your attorney doesn't have that answer right now, yeah. you know? And maybe that isn't something that you can strategize from the outset, you know? So with that, I really do feel like most clients should have the experience that when they go into a consultation, they should feel like the attorney listened to them to an extent. Um, but if you start to kind of traverse into this territory that's just not productive anymore, mm. you're spiraling, I'm going to tell you, like, I don't need to hear about that. It doesn't, that doesn't matter right now. You know what? The court doesn't care about that. Oh, they didn't take little Johnny to baseball practice 15 times in a row. Well, that's really unfortunate for little Johnny, but guess what? It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. So those are the types of things, you know, your attorney in that consult should be having those conversations with you. It is annoying when you hear your attorney go, well, it depends. Well, but oftentimes it does depend. But what did I say at the beginning of this? It depends because why? Because the facts and family law change every day. Yeah. So often what I tell my clients is, well, it depends. If what you're telling me is like the complete picture and the and not to say that clients are dishonest. I truly think most people are very candid and honest with you. But sometimes people only know half of the picture. Their perspective is their reality. Right. Absolutely. So if you come to me and you say, well, how's this situation going to pan out? I'm going to say to you, it depends. If everything that you've told me is the complete picture... And I, I like to try to say it that way because I'm not trying to impugn your credibility. I'm not trying to suggest that you would withhold facts from me. I'm trying to give you the grace and the leeway to know that, hey, maybe you don't know where all the investment accounts are. Maybe you don't know what your wife makes per year. Maybe you don't know what you know spending needs are of the family. I mean, I'm just trying to give you that grace and that leeway. So I will say to you, it depends. If it's the way that you've painted the picture, it's probably going to come out this way. If mm -hmm. it's, you know, if there are other factors, then from this point, we can only speculate as to how it's going to come out. And I tell clients as well, I refuse to speculate with you. 
Now, you know, is it fun to go down the rabbit hole and say, oh, well, so-and-so has a girlfriend now. I wonder what that's about. And I wonder where that's going. And I wonder if this play was because, it, but it's not conducive and it just burns your money. Why today do you need to send me a 13 line email? Why? What is the relevancy as it pertains to the time? Is right. it because, you know, something's coming up in the case. And so you think that so-and-so is acting like this because something's coming up in the case. Maybe that's very helpful. You know, so-and-so's planned a trip out of town where I know we have other banks and other assets that mm -hmm. those entities exist in those areas, right? It's not to invalidate your feelings or your claim or, or your concern or what you're going to tell me, but you got to connect all the dots. You live your life. We don't live your life. We're just kind of a, an observer for a little period of time. You know, we're hearing facts and it's almost like they're in abstract. And that sounds so silly because you're like... Kelly, how is it abstract that I'm telling you that little Johnny didn't go to practice? And you're like, okay, but I don't understand the players in the game. How many times does he go to practice? Who put him in baseball? Who thought that was a good idea? Does little Johnny want to go? I mean, so right. we're hearing the facts in abstract, even though you're like, I am literally speaking plain English to you. Why are you not getting it? So yeah. contextualize it for us and have a little bit of patience for us because you have to understand that, you know, our brains in any given time is like somebody trying to board a subway train at rush hour, right? Yeah. It's all these people trying to cram in the door before the doors close. And that's really the amount of information and people who, you know, need and want something at any given time. So really make it make sense to us. Help me yeah. understand why this is a problem and why you want to talk about it right now. Exactly. You know, we do something at our firm where we set up, think of it as like a OneDrive or a Dropbox. Okay. And I tell clients, I say, listen, this is going to be your unique spot. You can go in Dropbox and you have your own folder and I don't get in there, but this is your little safe space where you can put all of your stuff. If you want to journal to me, if you find, you know, bank statements that you're like, I don't know what the relevance of this is, but it could be relevant. Upload them right there because you know why I'm not going in there on my Saturday nights saying, oh, what did Jackie put in her portal today? Right. I'm not doing that. But if you then tell me later, oh, oh, wait, Kelly, I, I remember, I remember, I, I found this bank statement. It's on the drive. Can you please just issue a subpoena? It's a weird entity I'd never seen before. It's it's in the it's in the Dropbox. Yep. Really great because clients aren't sending that to me in an email, which means there's no urgency in it right now. But it's stored for safekeeping. And you know what happens when a client sends us an email? at least at our firm, is we really try to hold the standard of pretty rapid communication. It's not always possible, but I'll tell you that it's a very rare time that you go more than 48 hours without getting a response from one of the attorneys in our firm. You know, our response time might not be what you want our response time to be, but if you're sending me a one-off random document, you're getting billed for that document, which maybe has absolutely no relevance to your case right now. Right. I tell clients, if it's time sensitive or you need me to look at it, please email it to me. But if you're like, I just need it. I just need to know that it's somewhere so that someday I can tell her, oh, hey, we're working on the financial stuff now. Listen, way back when, when you sent me my Dropbox link, I had a uh, thing set up and I went in and I actually dumped a bunch of stuff that ended up in one of my random file cabinets when I moved out. 
I love it. And I do often have clients set up drop boxes to put things in and just to organize it, which is so important. And it leads me to my next question. I was shocked at the fact that getting a divorce was a full time. I mean, this sounds so ridiculous now because I've been helping clients for, for a few years now. I didn't know I had to have all my financials together. I didn't know I had to write out my budget for what you know my cost of living was. I didn't know at one point I had to write a declaration. I didn't know what a declaration was. I sent them my first draft and they were like, what is this? And I'm like, it's my declaration. They're like, no, no, no. The learning curve was very steep and the amount of work. And I want people to have a heads up. You guys immediately need a lot of financial information and sometimes other things if there's custody battles, blah, blah, blah. What do you want people to know about the amount of work on their side? So it's a couple of things. You know, most cases, there's going to be some immediate work when you come in for divorce, right? Whether it's gathering all your financial information, like you said, to kind of fill out the asset disclosure, or whether it's we're immediately rushing for some custody issue. A lot of times in my cases, because I get brought in on mostly very gnarly high conflict cases, that's typically the type of cases that I tend to um, be really good at. And, And I think you kind of attract what you are good at and what you're kind of out there for. Sure. Um, So most of the time in my cases, the cases are starting off with some sort of custody and visitation issue. Mm -hmm. um, And those that's going to kick off the case. But it doesn't matter whether it starts off with custody and visitation or it starts out with the financials. The reality is your attorney at that inception is going to need something from you. You might ask them, hey, what is the timeline for this? How quickly do you need this? If you have let's say an emergency custody issue, well, I'm going to need that declaration and I'm going to need your statement and I'm going to need all the text messages and everything else. I'm going to need that pretty immediate, right? Because you're telling me that you have an emergency. I'm telling you I can fix it or I can try to fix it, but I need the cooperation. But most people are not proficient writers. And I don't know if, you know, perhaps it's one of our skill sets as attorneys that we are really great writers because we have to read a lot or we're really great writers because we have to talk a lot. If your attorney is proficient in writing, your attorney is going to say to you, hey, listen, give me the nuts and bolts, Mm. you know, describe what it looks like to me. And I'm going to be able to kind of flesh out the rest. Um, But some attorneys just kind of sit you down and say, okay, here you go. Write a declaration about all the things. And you're like, I'm not really sure. That was your experience. That was my, didn't end up with that attorney after after long. (laughs) Yes. Um, But you know, here's the other factor. As an attorney, I'm the frequent flyer in court. I know what the court's going to find relevant. Yeah. So, you know, if it is more expensive for clients, if I have to do a lot of that writing and a lot of that, like listening to what a client says and then coloring it and contextualizing it for everybody. And you're really painting a picture in words for a life you didn't live that has nothing to do with you for people that you've barely met. Right. It's wild. It, it's a lot of expense to the client. When I have a client who I know can probably string together, you know, some version or another, I typically tell them, you give it a try, but don't let this be like daunting to you. If you can't take it all the way there, don't worry about it. Give me the nuts and bolts. Give me the you know, word vomit version where you just type it out and you're crying and you're sad and you're whatever else, just put it all on paper. And I'll say, nope, we're not saying that. Yep. We're going to say that. 
oh, that makes sense. Let's contextualize this. Let's explain this a little more. So a lot of times I'll have clients kind of give me their version, their nuts and bolts, and then we kind of work around it. It still involves so much work for clients. It's not that maybe putting together a declaration or putting together these financial statements is so time consuming that in your words, it's a full-time job. It's really more that I think people procrastinate it and they create this anxiety bubble of what they believe that this task is and how they don't know how they're ever in a million years going to get there. You just described it exactly because you're shunted into this world of extreme stress immediately. So your brain space has shrunk to almost nothing (laughs) by that time. And you're right. So the tiniest task seems monumental. If I'm speaking English to you and you're not getting it, like feel free to just kind of grab hold and say, make it make sense. I don't get it. I don't understand. What do you want on paper? Um, You know, because I'm happy to say, listen, if I said to you, hey, Jackie, go write a declaration about your life, what your parenting schedule was, what your timeshare is, who drops off the kids, who feeds the kids, what's your morning routine, what's your afternoon routine, who picks the kids up from school, who gets them to bed, all of those things and everything that happens in between. And I need that by uh, tomorrow at 10 a.m. If I said that to you versus just saying to you, talk to me about what that experience was like for you. And then as you're talking about it, you say to me, well, the kids go to three different schools. He works. I had to pick them up every day, but I also was responsible for getting them there every day. One drop-off was at 7.50. One drop-off was at 8.10. One drop-off was at 8.45. By the time I finished all of that, I got back home at 9.30, and then I could kind of start the day. But by the time I started the day, inevitably, our daughter who has autism needed me to go back to school for a parent meeting. Our you know, son had an orthodontist appointment, our whatever. When you start painting that picture... Then when I say to you, hey, Jackie, I need a declaration, the declaration goes like this. Talk to me about the school schedules. Easy. We just did it. Talk to me about the individual needs of the kids. Easy. We just did it. Our daughter is autistic. Our son has braces. He has appointments every five minutes. My husband works and doesn't actually participate in any of this. It's a much easier conversation than if I say to you, well, I just need you to tell me all the things and and do all the things and tell me what happened between, you know, 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. every day. And you're like, what day? What are we talking about? And and what matters and what doesn't matter, right? Does it matter that I had to pick up our son for orthodontist appointments three times a week? Yeah, it matters. Yeah. Right. But as a mom, it doesn't matter to you. Or as a dad that's doing it, it doesn't matter to you because it's just a fact of life. Exactly. And so are there anything else when you're in these consults and you're sort of, I know you'll have to generalize here and every every divorce is different, but is there anything that people get really surprised or shocked at? I think a lot of times people have incorrect assumptions about how custody works. Yeah. Um, And I think people have incorrect assumptions about what matters in custody. Mm -hmm. If I line up 15 people in a room, they're all going to say they want the best thing for their kid. Mm -hmm. But if seven of those people are married to each other, you know, and you have seven couples in there, in that room, those people are going to have a very hard time agreeing what's the best for their kid. Mm -hmm. And you have to kind of be able to parse out what the biases are. You have to be able to parse out what the motives are. 
Um, so I'll give you an example. You know, we surround this idea of sports and kids playing sports and whatever else. You know, maybe mom wants the kids to play sports because they've always played sports. And in dad's mind, he also wants the kids to play sports. Both parents can agree. It's in the kid's best interest for them to be busy and playing sports. But maybe dad's brain is saying, is mom just trying to get the kids in all the sports that require all the, you know, weekday commitments so that mom can basically capitalize on all the time with the kids because she knows I can't go to those out of town tournaments. She knows I can't make it to such and such. Right. And so dad is looking at in the, in the situation, it's mom and dad, but it could be dad and dad. It could be mom and mom. It could be whatever you want it to be. But you know, in this situation, you have one parent who is looking at I don't want them to participate in these things because X, Y, and Z. Um, And then you, on the other hand, you have the mom in that situation. Yes, I want our, our child to participate in all these activities because if he doesn't participate in all these activities, he's gonna wanna go hang out with dad on his boat all the time. And then he's gonna be hanging out with dad. And then, you know, then I'm not gonna have any fun time with him. And then, uh, you know, we're not gonna have any things that we can do together that are our thing that we are involved in. So both parents are looking at this mutual concept of, yes, it's in our child's best interest to play sports, but they're each using their own motives and their own bias to kind of prosecute their agenda. That's really difficult because everybody has it on some level. And it could be the reverse. It could be fears, right? Uh, You know, or dad has a fear that mom's just enrolling the kids to cost him more money. Or, you know, mom has a fear that dad's just enrolling the kids to preclude her from being able to go on all these out of town tournaments because she can't afford it. Whatever the case is, Um, people, every person has these weird biases and fears and motives and everything else. And they come from a lack of trust that has now been created in this relationship with your co-parent. So the problem is you're now looking at everything your co-parent does as, you know, a little bit suspicious. All through, yeah, through the lens of a 16-year bad marriage or something. Right, right. And you're like, because I I know he did this for 16 years. I know what he's thinking. I know what he's doing. He's taking him out of sports because, yeah. Absolutely. And so that becomes the really hard thing. And as an attorney, it's hard to combat that because following back to our initial question of what really shocks people, I'll have my client in my office, honest to God, trying to prosecute their agenda with me of, well, she's not doing this or he's not doing this because da, 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 da. And they're failing to recognize their own bias and their own contribution to it. Mm. And a lot of times, Instead of breaking it down, I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a psychiatrist, I'm not a mental health professional, I stay in my lane. So I don't sit there and spend the hour and a half and say to you, well, Jackie, let's talk about all your fears that are associated with that. Let's talk about all your biases that are associated with that. Let's talk about all your motives. We could spend a good five to 10 hours probably breaking all of that out. However, First of all, it's not financially conducive, but second of all, it doesn't really help. And so I think clients get a little bit shocked when they say to me, well, little Johnny's not going to practice. And I say, no one cares. 
No one cares. You know, mom's not taking uh, little Johnny to his games on her weekend. No one cares. No one cares. Literally no one cares. You know, mom refuses to participate in the carpool. Dad refuses to, you know, pay for the activity. No one cares. And so I think for clients, it's probably frustrating to be in, in the, in the client seat or the litigant seat and have your attorney just kind of shut the entire conversation down with no one cares. But the flip of that is we can spend five to 10 hours diagnosing all of the, you know, issues and biases and fears and everything else that has driven you to this point so that you can better make an informed decision about your own actions. But I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a psychiatrist. That's not what I'm here for. Um, And at $550 an hour, it doesn't make sense. Right. It doesn't right. make sense for you to pay that. And, um, you know, I know I appreciate that. And, and I know a number of my clients would have appreciated that because so many of these things are so maddening and upsetting that happen with the co-parent in the divorce process. But they're constantly asking me, do you think a judge will care about this? Look for look for patterns. Well, and it and it kind of goes like this. Patterns. First of all, I want to speak to your point. Patterns. Patterns are great. I love that you told your clients that. Talk to me about patterns. Don't come to me with a one-off seatbelt issue, but talk to me about patterns. And I'm going to say to you, what evidence do we have? You know, it's probably not going to justify an ex-party. And I'm going to tell the client, okay, listen, we're going to put this in your declaration. And at the very end, I'm going to say to the judge, hey, your honor, also there's been this, you know, this kind of habitual seatbelt problem. My client's not very sure, but if the court could just address that with the parties, the court's going to do this. No party shall allow a minor child to ride in a vehicle uh, absent a proper safety equipment and blah, blah, blah. That's right. all that's going to happen. And so I need a client to know that your 35 emails that you sent me over seatbelts is going to amount to that. And so did it really make a whole lot of sense for you financially? Maybe not. Um, and so you know, again, I, I do think that it's important for patterns, but this isn't the best that that's the other lens that I really want to talk to is it's not who's the best parent. It's you're a good enough parent. You're a good enough parent. All right, there we are. Because you have to realize that forever and ever and ever your kid's life is now I live in two homes. That's a reality. Yeah. And so the court has to say, how do we make that situation the best that it absolutely can be for these two kids? You know, and one of the things that I kind of try to remind clients as well is, would this have been such a big deal when you were married? So the seatbelt issue, if the, tw- if the triplets came home and they, they all came in and were like, ha ha, dad got us ICs. And then he didn't check that we had our seatbelts on. Ha 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 Would you have told dad, Hey, you're never going to drive with them again in a car if you can't figure it out. But again, we go back to that trust. And on the flip side, I think with a lot of personalities that they're divorcing, um, because most of the time my clients have the theme of, they just want this over. How do we get this over as quick as possible? Get me close to what I want. And and I just need away from them. And I said, aha, remember a lot of the things that they're doing, they're liking that you're responding. They're liking that they're getting the email right. from you. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. They yeah. love hooking you. They love teasing you. Deep breath. Call me. Call your best friend. You know, go to yoga, do something. Try not to respond if it's not, you know, a an urgent question or something really that requires a response because they're just waiting for it. They love it. We really, as, as people have a hard time when you're in the thick of it, not 
just reacting and saying, I know that's a lie. I know that's false. I know Mm -hmm. you're lying, you know, and I'm very big on walk away. You don't need to have a conversation in person. If you know that something's going to come out of your mouth, that shouldn't, if you know that something's going to come out of your mouth that I'm going to read about later and be absolutely livid, um, walk away, right? Just don't put yourself in that situation. And to the extent that the other parent brings that situation to you, shut it down. Hey, this is not an appropriate time to have this conversation. Your kid who should be focused on playing their activity, instead of doing that, your kid is like, what's happening over there? What's happening Mm. over there? Why is my dad so close to my mom? Why is my mom so close to my dad? And you know, for families that can work it out and they can sit together on fields and they can, you know, the kids are used to that and there's no conflict. That's great. But in order for that to happen, you have to have two parents who are willing to observe boundaries so strictly mm-hmm. that not a single word comes out of your mouth at that game that is about anything other than cheering on your child. Not a single word. And it takes two to tango. And yep. so in our in our clients, in our world, Jackie, we don't have those clients, right? Because we don't have, that's not our types of cases. Um, but, you know, your kid has heard you talking to your girlfriend on the phone, you talking to your boyfriend on the phone, you talking to your parents on the phone saying, oh, well, now so-and-so's doing this. Oh, well, they know you're upset with the other parents. They know it's a general discord. And even when you're out of the divorce, your kids know it's really difficult for people to conceptualize how much a lot of that stuff doesn't matter in courts and how much, even if you can tell me that he's ambushed you 15 times at the basketball court, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Um, And so it's, I think that is the hardest part for people to like get their head around. I know we only have a little bit of time left. So I did want to ask you about something switching gears. I think there is no guarantee on the spousal support and the child support. And I think a lot of people are shocked once the numbers get done and they hear the reality that the court wants you to get a job. Yep. I really try to give clients kind of some space. So to your point that you said earlier, this feels like a full-time job. Um, And to my point, hey, listen, it's not really a full-time job, but because we're not used to being asked to write declarations, because we're not used to being asked to pull together all your financial statements. And by the way, if you could break it out by brokerage accounts and checking accounts and savings accounts and credit unions, that'd be really great for us, right? Because you're not used to that, because you might not be as organized as you wish you would in hindsight, um, right? It feels like a full-time job. I typically try to give my clients some breathing room and say, listen, take some space to deal with that. Um, but yes, you know, here's here's the real reality. It's not 30 years ago, right? Your judges on the bench, they aren't these old white men only, right? Your judges on the bench are women, They are people who have fought and and scraped their way up the chain. It's no longer, well, I'm a judge now because my daddy was a prosecutor and then my daddy became a judge. And so now I'm a judge because my daddy was a judge. It's not that anymore. And I'm really thankful for that because it just brings so much more perspective and it colors the family court system so much. And it really gives people a voice and an avenue and it stops plopping on a one size fits all you know, performance for everybody. Um, But to that point, you know, you're not going to get a lot of empathy if you're talking to me about how you can't manage 
two kids and nothing else going on. And, you know, I run a law firm and I have four kids and, you know, we have a whole lot going on, right? Like you're not always going to get that empathy. I might might empathize with you, but I'm certainly not going to sympathize with you. I'm certainly going to say, listen, you have much more capacity than you believe that you have. I promise you, Um, you know, I'm going to do a lot more trying to empower you to do those things because your judges have four kids. Your judges were moms. Your judges have their kids at the across the street daycare. Your judges had, you know, kids when they were in, you know, law school or undergrad or, you know, post law school. But your judges are no longer just these old white men who had, you know, a wife and they could understand how, well, of course, I'd want someone to support little Susan because she's always been the stay at home mom and she raised our four kids. And, you know, for 36 years, she supported my legal career. You don't have that necessarily anymore. And so you have to open your eyes and understand that, yes, the law still supports long-term spousal support. Yes, that is all a factor. However, the amount of money that a DISO master calculation puts in, the amount of money that those softwares put in still only accounts for how much money's coming into the household. Right. Well, guess what, sis? 80% of marriages are failing because of finances. Not necessarily because there's not enough money, but because the perception is the reality. The perspective is the reality. And so one parent or one person thinks the other person is overspending or not making enough or not working enough or, you know, not not allowing them to spend. Whatever the case is, the root of most marriages dissolving is some sort of issue around finances. And so when you look at that, and when you look at all of that, you have to say, listen, it's almost like being, and again, I'm not a counselor, I'm not a therapist, I'm not a mental health professional, but if you have a therapist say to you, listen, you only have 100%. Every day you only have 100%. And you can only give up to 100% to somebody. And you have to keep some for yourself, And so what are you going to choose? Are you going to keep 1% for yourself and give 99% to everybody else? Because the reality is you're not going to be able to do that for a very long time without being absolutely run ragged. So in this case, if you only have $10,000 a month coming into this household, well, the DISO master or the ex-spouse calculator still has to factor that same $10,000. And now it has to account for two separate households. Mm -hmm. So it's never going to feel like enough to you. And so back to your original attorney's point of, hey, at some point you're going to need to get a job. Why? Because it is just not practical to think that you are going to live on spousal support or child support alone. Now, I want to just, just because it's popular media right now, uh, Kevin Costner, I'm sure there are plenty of people out there sitting there thinking today, well, I could live on Kevin Costner's child support, right? And 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 maybe who couldn't? But here's the reality. Kevin Costner's house is a 30,000 square foot house that's a compound in some area. So do you really think that that mom, do you think the perspective for her is, well, gee, I have a lot of money. I, sh- I can just roll in it? No, right? Because she's thinking, I need to live in a house that's close enough to Kevin's house that kind of keeps up with Kevin's lifestyle enough so that our children aren't shell-shocked when they come to some 800-square-foot apartment. The apartment or the house or the rental that mom is going to be able to get in that area next to Kevin is probably thirty to $40,000 a month. Yeah. So, you know, 
it's all perspective. Yeah. And it's all what you already had kind of lived on and were accustomed to, but it's yeah. never going to feel like enough. The reality is most families, and I don't know what it is for celebrities, but you know, most families are living on what they, what they earn. Right. Yeah. And so I don't think that Kevin, you know, and his situation is necessarily living on what he earns, but if he's making $200,000 a month, that tax bill is pretty hefty. Yeah. So those quarterly payments are pretty hefty. If he has to keep up with a 30,000 square foot house, that mortgage payment is pretty hefty. And even if he doesn't have a mortgage, that property tax bill is pretty hefty. So, yeah. you know, it's not necessarily this, you know, there's so much extra money, even in Kevin Costner, or, you know, as my mom would say growing up, well, they have more money than God. Well, you know, that's all well and great. But look at what their what their expenses are and how they've kind of bootstrapped themselves every month. Yeah. Um, because that really that's the issue. And yeah. so it's never gonna feel like enough. It's never right. gonna feel like it makes sense when right. you get your order. But on the other hand, having the payor in a lot of cases, a lot of my clients are like, wait, 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 why am I paying so much? How am I supposed to live on that? Right. And so, you know, you just have to understand that the perspective is out there. Both people are thinking, how am I supposed to live on that? Right. I was just going to say, and I'll call, I'll kind of end this topic with this. And then I know we're going to kind of wrap it up here in general, but you're getting a divorce. Your, your, your lifestyle is going to go down for a while. It just is. So let's just talk about the reality. That's what this podcast is about yes, you have to pay that much or yes, that's all you get. It's after taxes and then it's after this and then it's after that. And then, you know, they get to deduct this and that's the number. So my big thing now that I have been so on my soapbox for, for a while is let's spend as much time as possible focusing on your future. You're getting a divorce. That's the reality. Your lifestyle is not going to be what it was for a while. Let's focus on a future that makes you happy. Absolutely. And, you know, I, not every divorce is, is the end of the world. Right. You know, right. you have to also, whether you're the person who wanted the divorce or not, you have to look at the opportunity in it yeah. and say, what are the things like right now? If I said to you, you know, Hey, you could go back and have this marriage with, you know, presumably you like your boyfriend with your boyfriend but you and you're going to be comfortable and you're going to have all the things that you want. You're going to absolutely love it. But you have to give up all the experiences that you had in the last three and a half years. You probably wouldn't necessarily want to do it. And if you did want to do it, it would be a hard call for you yeah. because, you know, figuring out that independence, figuring out that, Hey, when my kids are with dad every other week, or when they, when I have five days off one week and two days off the next week, you know, I'm traveling, I'm spending time with my friends. I'm not having to have some dialogue where it's passive aggressive of, Oh, you're going to go do that for the weekend must be nice. You know, you're not having to have those dialogues and the freedom in that is is honestly really priceless. It's really an opportunity. But when you get out of this like scared mindset and this kind of fear of loss mindset where you're just kind of scraping by to figure it out, when you get out of that, it's so much better mm. and there's so much opportunity. And that's kind of the area where I feel like people can really grow and they can really like flourish and they can really do something with their life. Yeah. 
but I getting completely people agree. To see it so hard when yeah. they're stuck in the, but my client, my attorney wants me to write a 19 page declaration and so-and-so just made up all these lies and now I have to respond. Yeah, it sucks. But that's yeah. a moment in your life. That's not your entire life. I know. And, you know, so I always say, go find the help you need, get the support you need to get through it in the most sane way possible. And let's figure out how to get you out of it. Right. Kelly. Thank you so much for being on. It's, you know, it's a tough journey. Uh, your clients are so lucky to have you. And it's just, uh, you know, a heads up to people out there if they're thinking about divorce or they're in it and they're thinking, is this normal? It just sucks. It just does. And I'm a huge advocate of radical acceptance. You cannot take a step forward until you acknowledge. Absolutely. That's, well, that's it was it. my pleasure. Thank you again. Take care. And uh, hopefully we'll cross paths again soon in the future. Yes, of course. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye-bye.